Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this evening. I've got a great stream with some great guests that I think you're really going to enjoy. We're going to be talking about the idea of postmodern traditionalism. A lot of people want to return to tradition, but what does tradition look like after the postmodern age? We're going to get into all of that here. I've got today with me two great guests going to reassemble the dream team from a few weeks ago. Last things, thanks for joining me, man. It's great to be here again. We are the dream team. That's right. And the other half of the dream team, Geo. Thanks for coming, man. Hey, always glad to be here, Oren. Uh, it's a good feeling uh, to quote the Iron Sheik. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Well, we're going to jump into this in just a second. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor for today's show. Let me tell you about Pure Health. Hey guys, I know a lot of you are taking care of yourselves. You're working out and you're watching what you eat, and that's great because you got to start taking care of things like your liver. Why? Well, because the latest data from the American Heart Association shows that adults with fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those that avoid it. The American Liver Foundation says that over 100 million Americans already have fatty liver, which means a lot of people are at risk. There are so many things in our daily lives that can impact your liver. Cholesterol, alcohol, toxins. If you're leaning on things like Tylenol or statins, it can all have an impact. That's why so many people have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes them gain weight and lose energy. Your liver has a ton of key functions, which is why you want to take care of it. And liver health formula can help. It's an all-natural supplement that contains 12 clinically proven botanicals, which help to recharge and protect your liver. It's also manufactured right here in the United States and approved by American doctors. Diet and exercise are key, but if you want to add something that will protect your liver and boost your energy, try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings. You also get four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com dot com slash orin and claim your five free bonus gifts that's getliverhelp.com slash orin there's a link in the description down below that'll take you right to it all right so geo we hear this term postmodern all the time right it's it's the postmodern Marxists are coming for us all. We've got to watch out for the postmodernists. A lot of people are very wary of this term because of how loose it is, how much it gets thrown around. But in this context, help us understand, what are we talking about when we talk about postmodernism? Wow, that's like right off the bat with the softballs. Or <laughs> yeah, I, I try to make it as easy as possible for you. Nothing controversial, nothing that's yeah. going to require serious explanation. You know Exactly. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that was a great commercial, by the way. My, Thank you. I, Do my best. Yeah. I, I had a point actually about like how like the right wing like has been accused recently of like lifestyle stuff and how like that's a sign of like a fully integrated ideology that's sort of like, you know, underneath like the lack of a political project. What do you do next? It's like, uh, you know, it becomes like it was a very left wing thing to worry about your health back in like the 80s and 90s. But now it's like the right wing. Now it's like the, you know, the uh, Susan Sontag um, was the essay. I mean, I like Susan Sontag as a writer, but what was the essay like beauty is fascism or whatever, you know? <laughs> but anyways, besides the point, um, postmodernism, like it's one of those like catch all terms, as we all know, that sort of, I feel like even, even like back in the 1990s when a lot of, how shall I say it? A lot of like popular, like, 
critique was getting like pop popified, right? Poptimism. There you go. Like you had like <laughs> discourse poptimism. You had like uh, like TV shows mentioning it, literary theory. But in the internet age, we see like a sort of like a, a total glut of like academic discourse. But that's like besides the point. So the best way to describe it, like the most people consider quote unquote postmodernism is the lack of meta narratives, the sort of the eclipsing of like one world civilizational picture that constitutes the majority view of reality, not real, not like reality in terms of the real, but also the way that we construct a picture of what a civilization or truth or reality or so forth, so on and so forth looks like. Uh, that's like much more of the leotard postmodern condition take. I tend to like Frederick Jameson's work. If you read, um, you know, postmodernism, the logic of late capitalism, of course he is a Marxist. And I think that there is a critique to be made in terms of like his emphasis on a lot of like his old school class dialectic Marxist type of stuff. You know, um, he's much, he's much closer to the some certain writers of compact than he is about, well, he's actually, he's actually best friends with Slavu Zizek, but Frederick Jameson, he talks about how, because of the rise of print media that leads into techno capital that leads into newer um, telecommunications technologies and sort of like newer forms of media, you have what he calls like the collapse of the high and low distinction in culture, right? Like that's another big facet of, of postmodernism. And that's the reason why I bring up like pop culture and how even the critique itself becomes like popified. That's very much like, the hallmark of at least the classic like 80s and 90s you know definition of postmodernism where now it's like something that is very highbrow is mixed in with something and of course something very lowbrow is taken up into quote unquote high culture and the distinction is sort of erased so like what would be a good example the millennial video essayist that talks about marvel films as if it's like um as if it's like Baudelaire critiquing Poussin, right? Like the paintings of Poussin. Like it's, uh, that's an example of how um, post-modernity is sort of like seeped into every facet of life. Now the critique of course is like, do we really live in post-modernity? Do we live in hyper-modernity? Is there like an extension of it? Like all these, in my opinion, all of these things are sort of very fluid and in together with each other. And to say like, there was this point in time where we entered post-modernity as opposed to modernity or like high modernity and low modernity, like, you know, higher later modernity, right? Like there's not really a clear cut distinction. There is, you could say with modernism where certain artistic and cultural and philosophic trends around the turn of the century basically culminated into what we know is modernism. But postmodernism is like one of those slippery things that, like there was no like ground zero for postmodernism. I, I was gonna maybe... I was gonna ask Gio, is is there any way to like yeah go ahead Ross. to, to go put ahead. a to put a historical moment on it? Like I don't know if we would you would consider sort of like the the fall of the Soviet Union as sort of the the last kind of global meta meta narrative to top some people yes liberalism. Yeah, and the, de with the death of so, communism, yeah. you sort of have liberalism yeah. giving birth to postmodernity. Yeah, well, I would say that, um, like, it's funny you mentioned the Soviet Union because uh, a few a few months ago, last year before Christmas, uh, me and my old man, because he, you know, he's a, he's a boomer, right? Like, he's a younger boomer, and I was showing him the the newer documentary 
by Adam Curtis, time, a trauma zone. And if you look at it, like if you look at the subtext, the fall of Soviet Union was very much like, um, it very much was like a postmodern descent into like a dystopian, like post ideology society. Uh, it very much was like the weaponization of a meta narrative collapsing. I think even like last stream, we alluded to it, right? But so yeah, the Soviet Union, I think like equally as like certain international relations people, they would say that, no, I'm not saying this for certain, this is debatable. I'm not saying like this is a hard like academic consensus, but I am saying that a lot of people do consider that the death of like that final meta narrative that like pulled the rug from under a sort of like multipolar, not multipolar world, but sort of like a, uh, a world in which ideological lines were pretty much set, right? Because the Soviet Union and the United States were incredibly ideological societies. Even the United States, I know Americans don't like to hear that, but it's true, obviously. So you could say that the death of the Soviet Union ushered in at least an awareness of the fact that we no longer live in a world constituted by massive ideologies that inform all aspects of life. Now we do live in under an ideology that basically informs all of life. We live in global liberalism, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's, it's tricky because liberalism proclaims to be the terminus point of ideological and cultural battles. And so that is in a way, a weaponization of post-modernity, even though it adheres to a very strict set of like meta narrative assumptions that it, basically is now inflicting upon the rest of the world right and so post-modernity again is like one of those things that uh you can't like as soon as you try to grasp on it it's like it just pours out of your hands but that's basically but, the picture yeah more or less quick rabbit hole that has nothing to do with our topic but now you've said something that made me uh interested so schmidt identifies this as a function of liberalism way back and you know yeah. whenever he's writing concept of the political so are we are were we already going through that process? Was the weaponization of liberalism already something that was working on the Western consciousness even well before any of these this uh, conflicts and collapses of narrative that you're talking about? It's it's hard to say. I mean, you could make an argument that it was inevitable in the mm -hmm. sense of like the given um, cultural, uh, technological, especially, and other political developments that happened in the 20th century. The culminate in that moment. But I mean, I know Schmidt would say that it's impossibility because by definition, you need that distinction of the other to really truly create a political, um, basically a cult of power, if you will. Right. But that's the funny thing about global liberalism is that it really purports that there is no such thing as an outside. Right. So it goes beyond Schmidt, or at least it tries to. But right. we know that in theolo you know, political theology, that Schmidt writes about. Like, we know that's impossible, right? So yeah. that's always going to be the contradiction. It's sort of like, I would almost read in, like, uh, to bring Schmidt into it's a very good observation because he definitely was a modern thinker, right? He definitely saw that there still was uh, a sort of um, a political project there that could be built upon. But I, I think that maybe there's, later on, Schmidt, there was some inklings there that yes, there will be a sort of order of things. And I say order of things, not just explicitly ideology, because liberalism very much is an order of things in terms of its all-consuming nature of, every, of you know basically all of life, right? So in Schmidt, it's very funny that he probably did, 
see that eventually these ideological contradictions would come to, you know, come to heed and that there would be a sort of sunsetting of these other alternative systems. And that eventually you would have to basically centralize all of these, you know, ideological quabbles into like one giant superstructure. Um, whether that's an impossibility or not, I mean, we're seeing right now that there's always going to be resistances within that order. Uh, so it, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I don't exactly know the hard answer, but sure. I don't know. Like, you, you probably have thoughts on that word. Maybe you know. Well, I, you know, I just, I wanted to hear yours. Cause yeah, I, I think that he did see that while liberalism w- would try to do this, it would ultimately fail. Cause I think that was yeah. kind of his whole point is that while it purports to do this, it's really just obfuscating something that has to exist. And so it's just, it's redefining. And like you said, trying to bring everything under kind of its particularities, but it, it can't. And, and so all it can really do is hide the ball on, on what it's doing, but we could go down that rabbit hole forever. So oh, yeah. let's, we'll try to, to stay on topic here a little bit. So last things you had proposed this talk because you wanted to address the idea of postmodern traditionalists. Now, obviously this is for many people, a contradiction in terms. How can you possibly look into something like traditionalism? If you've already moved beyond kind of this definition of what, what a tradition would be, or many, many ways people look at postmodernism as a rejection of history and tradition. So when we talk about postmodern traditionalism, what do you have in mind or what do you think people are proposing when they talk about postmodern traditionalism? No problem. Or I'll, I'll try to um, take my best whack at this, but before we do that, I have a s- slight tangent uh, as well. Gio, I just want to know why you're, you're showing your old man, Adam Curtis videos and not last things videos. <laughs> I could show him that too. No, the reason I showed him that one is because like he remembers some of that stock footage from like back in the day, like in the seventies and eighties watching it on the news. And he's like, Oh my God, I don't know. They actually did that in the Soviet Union. They didn't tell us that. You know, like, yeah. I've been, I've been called a right wing Adam Curtis. Like, yeah, you be, have. That'll be a blurb on my book when it comes out. <laughs> That's a good um, one. <laughs> but, um, but, but anyway, yeah. So, you know, I get that this does exist as as a label, and I and I do know that there are people out there that that really do identify and categorize themselves as postmodern traditionalists, and honestly, that might be um, slightly uh, different from the phenomenon that that I'm noticing and that I'm I'm categorizing in this manner. I, I don't I don't believe so, but um, it, it kind of occurred to me to write to 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 Oren and pitch this as a conversational topic after I, I caught him on Benjamin Boyce uh, speaking with uh, Vocal Distance. And I, I'm not overly familiar with, with Vocal Distance's work. And I can't even, Oren, you might even be able to do a better job of sort of summarizing what the the crux of the conversation was. I wouldn't categorize it as a, as a debate or an argument per se, but it seemed to me that um, Vocal was defending and advocating this somewhat amorphous uh, idea that that the west needs to return to the logos to logocentrism um but was very i think um unable to provide specific details about what precisely that looks like or programmatically how that is is undertaken um, and I think you were taking up the side of um, Christianity as sort of the the traditional belief system of the West. 
um, Protestantism specifically within within the context of the United States. And I, I witnessed this phenomenon several other places. And, and I, I'll say that I think that it's something that, that appears to me to be kind of creeping into dissident spaces, although it's something that I, I originally kind of noticed within the IDW. And it, I think it concerns me a little bit that, that it's it's um, it's representing itself over in our circle, you know, and it, it goes under many guises and many names. I think Jordan Peterson talks about this and it's I mean, it typically goes under when people talk about it, there, there tends to be a lot of uh, kind of hyphenated um, <laughs> terms. But, you know, when, when you hear someone like Jordan Peterson talking about how the West needs to return to a low fidelity ambient con consensus of the good or um you know i i was listening to a, an interview with with mary harrington a while ago and that's somebody that i i really admire but she was talking about how that we, we need to reassert natural law um and I, yeah, yeah there have been a, a lot of examples where people maybe frame this in a lot of different ways but fundamentally i think they're what, what they're talking about is returning to the function but not the form mm -hmm. of some yeah. sort of religious and spiritual tradition. And I, I say all of this, I, my, my criticism, I should, I, I should mention, you know, I say all of this as a, a thoroughly postmodern person. I am not, I am not embedded within a tradition. I was not raised in a tradition. I, I suffer under my postmodern con condition quite mightily. It's, it's part of what drives me to do my videos, but I, I think I, I more often than side with, um, you know, or, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think you would too, would be a bit of a skeptic when it comes to these projects. I, ha I hesitate to call them projects because postmodern traditionalists don't really have a lot of practical, um, wisdom when it comes to the, this stuff. Um, but I, I, I find myself a lot more sympathetic to the people that are kind of trying to reassert established traditional communities, faiths, et cetera, because I, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, I don't think that the post postmodern traditionalism has ever really fully presented itself as a coherent idea, but I, I see people grasping for it all over the the place in in a, a lot of different conversations um and the the name i tagged that with is postmodern traditionalism um I, I think you know i know there are i think academic agent may have be even been one of the first people that kind of coins that yeah. phrase he might i i don't want to put words in his mouth he may identify as a postmodern traditionalist um but that's yeah that's what i've I, I've come to observe. I don't know if you guys have have been picking up on that as well in our sphere, or if you feel like it's it's becoming kind of a more common phenomena these days. You want to go for a story, or yeah, just I'll just put the context yeah. on the local distance uh, conversation. Then I knew you were the... going to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so uh, you're right. I've done two of these conversations with local at this point, and there's probably a third one coming up here. And uh, the, actually, the second one wasn't supposed to be on the same topic, but it ended up being on it anyway. <laughs> and 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 you're exactly right to identify, I think, um, the, the problems. The weird thing is, like, I think we're all postmodern traditionalists. If we're traditionalists at all at this point, we're all kind of stuck 
yeah. in in this yeah. moment, whether we like it or not. And so I, you know, I, I joked, uh, I joked with Carl Benjamin, uh, you know, well, now you've reached your final form as a postmodern traditionalist. I think he's got it in his bio right now. Um, but uh, but I think all traditionalists at this point are, are exactly that, just due to our moment. But the specific phenomenon you're talking about, uh, last things, is very real because I think there is a, an attempt by many in the IDW sphere and even some guys like Wokel who might not count themselves in it, but, but are some somewhere outside of it um, to, to rescue liberalism through this kind of disembodied form of Christianity uh, yeah. where, where we can, we can kind of take the Christian ethos and unmoor it from its tradition and use it as a binding agent to revivify liberalism. And I think that's just doomed to fail. That's what our, our discussion was. Our first discussion particularly was really heavily focused on was that you, you have to have more moral particularity. This is what binds a culture. This is what creates culture. This is what binds a civilization, what creates people group and, and, and what makes a lay, uh, faith something that's lived in and allows people to, to draw meaning from it. Uh, not some kind of disembodied notion of the metaphysic behind it. Uh, what, what I think a lot of these people want to do is they don't want, they realize that like the religious function is essential. Now they've kind of, they kind of, you know, you still got some Sam Harris's out there, but, but most of the IDW types have realized like, no, we're going to have some kind of religion and Christianity actually turned out to be a pretty good one, but they really don't like, uh, Christianity, like pre-enlightenment particularly. Uh, and so they really want to return to some form of like, loose uh you know the the, the fumes of christianity they, they want to go back to the part where society was like profitably uh sucking the blood out of christianity and using kind of the 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 uh the cultural uh momentum from it to to kind of coast through this this loose thing that would bind everyone together and would still keep some guardrails up but without actually imposing any real limitations any kind of real uh particularities onto the culture they want to yeah. do that for a couple of reasons one because it keeps uh liberalism alive and two it keeps their coalition together right that they want the right to be a coalition of atheists and and, and you know everyone else who wouldn't necessarily sign on to some kind of traditional christianity but doesn't like progressivism and so their project is to kind of do this this is why you know peterson has a hard time really buying into faith but he likes all the things that faith gave so he's trying to find a way to take biblical truth and make it you know uh psychological or or, or whatever the best terminology yeah. is for that oh you done already? yeah yeah go for it go for it oh i hope i didn't cut you off no no i just say yeah that that's basically no. what they're they're doing that's yeah. what their attempt is i was gonna say that that ironically enough is very postmodern of peterson that's yeah. why he's been labeled as yeah. like a postmodern right winger so let me clarify a few terms uh, for, you know, you asked last things about the term itself. It, it's much older than people think. Like, the, like there were people in like, I don't know, like people in like countercurrents in 2014 talking about, it. I remember back, back in the day, a lot of like even NRX people that I followed people that I wrote with uh, in places like Thermometer magazine were talking about it even before us. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, even, I believe even Joe Sobran wrote something that talked about explicitly about postmodernism and not like a typical paleocon like condemnation way. Like, I mean, ironically enough, like you could say paleoconservatism is like another, uh, 
you know, selective critique of certain like liberal meta narratives of society. But the whole like logocentrism thing, like, again, this is like one of these things where, again, I don't want to make any enemies for you, Oren, but uh, no, go for it. We're here a to lot speak of, the truth. A lot of these people, like in the intellectual dark web, they take like the surface level of the word and they kind of know like the academies of it, but they're like, no, actually, it's a good term. So, um, Pronomian Chomsky asks, is, uh, is, po- is logocentrism the sensible center? No, it's not. Postmodern traditionalism is sensible centrism. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. In academia, specifically, it came from Clogus, right? Um, Ludwig Clogus, but later was basically popularized by Jacques Derrida, the term logocentrism. Now, he calls it the metaphysics of presence, where words in terms of a logocentric worldview, which is what he thinks that the West was basically built up on, you know, since the days of Plato, is that words have a distinct and inherent meaning, or rather they correlate and connect to a meaning that is in the presence of yourself, that is direct, that is accessible, that correlation walls equals causation, so on and so forth, right? But he's saying that words actually, in in a, you know, in his sort of um, textual universe model, if you will, they don't necessarily correlate to a signifier, right? So, sorry, a sign, right? Words can only be signifiers, meaning that they can only refer to themselves. Words can only refer to words, and therefore, the because of the intertextual nature of language, there is no like hard and fast metaphysical correlate that connects the sign or the signifier to the sign, to the thing, to the materiality, right? Whereas that's what logocentrism means. Now, I believe that vocal distance in those people, what they mean is like, we need logocentrism, meaning we need like a logos in society that comes from Christianity. But the eternal logos in Christianity is different, right? Like, the, like So they're jumbling these academic terms. But if you were to get, to, to be totally fair though, Peterson and vocal distance and like James Lindsay, they do want to go back to a world where the word, the signified means the signifier right? Where the word correlates to the reality of something, the horizon of something, and the connotation that we have actually means something, right? So to their credit, that's probably what they mean. They probably, like, I know James Lindsay, like, whole class says that, like, you know, Derrida was like a wizard of academia that was just spouting nonsense, more or less. It was sort of like free jazz, but in, like, you know, academic terminology. Um, So, when it comes to postmodern traditionalism, though, it's interesting because you have a world where a lot of the correlate towards what a word means and what is the truth we know is complicated. This is a fact, right? You know how we know it's a fact? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Okay. So I have my phone here, right? What's on my phone? A camera. People have access to recording technology and to information technology more than ever before, right? But yet we live in a world where the ambiguity of what we know to be true in terms of real events, right? There's a war going on right now. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, right? I, I'm kidding. It's hypothetical. I'm being a showman. Right? I've heard stories. Yeah. 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 No, but you heard stories, right? Yeah. It's, it's... Now, do you know for a fact how many um, blue yellow troops have been sunsetted and how many Russian troops have been 
unfortunately have passed, right? No, you like you can't put a hard figure on it, right? I mean, you maybe can guess depending on what ideological persuasion you are. If you're pro-Ukrainian, you have one number. It's like, you know, the Ukrainians, they've only lost like 20,000 men and the Russians have lost, I don't know how many, a million, right? Or the other side, it's like, no, the Russians are like gigachads and it's like they can, you know, they've lost no men. Oh, they've only lost Chechnyans, right? They've only lost Wagner and Chechnya. They haven't lost any men, right? So in other words, we have a world in which the access to information and recording technology and live streaming of events is more powerful than ever. Like you can hook up to Starlink and a, a soldier can put a GoPro cam. I've seen this. Go to Telegram and you'll see this, right? Not that I would encourage people to do so. It's terrible. But theoretically, you could do that. Yeah. Theoretically, right? It's <laughs> barbaric and terrible. The point being is that we can't agree upon what we see in front of our lying eyes. And this is what the postmodernists are saying. That in terms of like, and, and all, like, listen, throw out all these pop culture terms that the media has been using since the age of Trump, which is post-truth or truthiness or like, okay, there's something to that. But like, ignore what the media has fabulized in terms of like the post-truth era. The po We've always lived, like not that we've always lived in post-truth, but post-truth has been with us for a long time. Put it that way, okay? Don't have any illusions about these things. The point being is that there's always going to be an ambiguity in terms of what a word or what a narrative or what a phrase or what an ideology purports to be the real in front of us and what we actually know to be real. There's always going to be the ambiguity. And as we increase our ability in terms of the sort of techno-communication apparatus we live under, as our ability to record and track and view reality increases, it seems like our ambiguity in terms of what we know to be true has gone even deeper. That doesn't make any sense. If we, like, if we lived in the world that James Lindsay or P Jordan Peterson wanted, then, I, I don't know, I guess, like, 1990, like, 2000s i don't know like well we, we would still be debating creationism and they'd still be like btfoing the you know venom fang x or whoever like we would still live in a world in which like civilization more or less agrees upon everything and like the world will go in a certain direction and people will more or less agree in like what is prudent or pragmatic like that doesn't hold anymore we know this doesn't hold anymore i mean listen i'm just ranting right now but i'm the point i'm trying to make is that Post-modernity, you can't think of it as like, this is an ideology that a group of people scheme together to inflict upon us. Post-modernity is not like, it's not an ideological position per se. It's rather a critique and it's a way of viewing the world and it's a way of viewing a particular moment that we're living through rather than like, I don't know, like, Jacques Derrida and like the Berkeley staff in the sixties got together and like, you know, Oh, we're going to like tell people that the reels aren't reels anymore. feels, are, you know, feelings over facts. We're going to tell people feelings over facts now. And it's like, everyone's going to be like, their brains are going to like turn to mush and we're, gonna, I don't know, or something. Right. Like, it's not, this is the problem I feel with a lot of right-wing discourse that has not right-wing discourse. I mean like normie level conservative discourse that a lot of people on the, the outer edges of the right wing have critiqued and said, well, actually, the reason we kind of look foolish, and, you know, granted, our enemies are equally foolish for their own assumptions, right, obviously. But the reason we kind of look foolish is because 
we think that there is an intentionality to the like okay is there an intentionality to a lot of things that we live through yes obviously like no word of doubt it's true but in terms of like something as all consuming as a postmodern condition it's not necessarily something that you can like go together in a smoky room and like inflict upon like the world more or less it's something that have just that has culminated through the development of a particular mode of thinking and a particular form of technology and the way in which we've gone as a civilization as a whole. That's what real postmodernity is. It's not like when when all these ideological, you know, intellectual uh, dark web people, when they it's almost as if the way they're talking about it, it's if something like if we just give people the right information, then all of a sudden, like. I don't know. We'll go back to high modernism or something like that. Like it's, I don't know. It's like the way they frame the discussion is kind of infuriating in a sense, because it's not something that like has that hard and fast intentionality to it. But uh, we're getting like, yeah, go ahead. Last things. I'm just, I'm well, it's, I think something that I, uh, that I noticed that I, I think can kind of, kind of fairly uh, define the, the position regardless of, of who's, who's talking and what, what name it's, it's going under is this, it's sort of putting literary criticism before literature or putting the, yeah. putting the critique of the narrative before the narrative ex itself. I, I think in some ways it's like, we, we don't need the Bible. We just need Jordan Peterson's videos about the Bible, you know, because <laughs> exactly. well, that's a very no postmodern, right? That's right. Like, yeah. That's taking away the the textual nature of something for the intertextual nature of something. So exactly. it's like you can have the video essay instead of the actual book, right? So, sorry, I yeah. cut you off last week. Yeah, 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 no, and, and I, I mean, I, I can roll my eyes on that at the same time as I think it's it's actually, in, in fact, very challenging to to, to simply, you know, for, for us postmoderns um, to just kind of, read the Bible <laughs> or take it, mm -hmm. take in the Bible without, without taking in ourselves, taking in the Bible. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who's been uh, kind of experimenting with, with Catholicism lately. I've been doing the rosary uh, most every day, trying to break my way into to some level of non-postmodern authenticity here. But I, um, I, mm -hmm. I, I observe myself observing myself when I, when I'm, when I'm, um, doing the rosary it's so it's 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 more easily said said than done but it does seem like this um yeah once you once the meta narratives have kind of crumbled it's hard to you know put the baby back in the bathwater um so so to speak it's it's hard to um regain a certain kind of uh, innocence yeah. or sincerity in in your approach to things like that i think another I, yeah the, one of the no, main viewing yourself why... viewing yourself that's a perfect like that describes it you're viewing yourself trying to get at that source of authenticity whereas in previous generations it just came like not that it just came to you but there was a very specific set of like cultural and like civilizational assumptions that brought you to that moment rather than you having to like re-engineer it and then also having that sort of like that postmodern irony like i'm watching myself doing this that's a great right, term for right. it yeah sorry to cut yeah, you I, I, you know it's interesting Gio. i was gonna I, i'm curious to get your your take on this um I, i've heard a academic agent discuss this a number of times so i don't i'm not bringing anything up that i wouldn't 
feel right. fine talking about or talk about with him. But I know he's mentioned on a few streams that um, he's been bringing his daughter to uh, a lot of, um, I think, Anglican services. Um, like he's been mm -hmm. going to Sunday, even though he, he, I mean, he's kind of expressed that he's, he's not really a believer. He's, you know, I don't think he'd call yeah. himself an atheist just because atheism comes with a lot of specific political baggage at this day and age, but maybe technically he, he, he is that, but I think he still sort of feels compelled to um, give his daughter the experience of this ritual and have it be an, an element of her childhood so that it kind of, she might have a certain nostalgia for it or at least remembrance of it. Um, even if he's sort of in, in some sense engaging in it cynically, or at least not, not, right. not participating in a sort of naive uh, pre-modern faith tradition. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not judging him for it. I, I suspect that because I've I've considered doing the exact same type of thing with my kids. Quite honestly, if if there's a mm -hmm. way that I could be confident that I could kind of re-mystify or, or re-enchant the world for my kids, or, or or set up the next generation to have some some form of subjectivity that is not this, um, you know, hyper, <laughs> yeah, uh, this this postmodern, um, uh. uh subjectivity I, I i do it but what i suspect would happen happen in that scenario is kids kind of catch on to these things more quickly than a, a lot of adults realize and i think sooner or later aa's daughter is gonna kind of say like you know daddy you you, you behave kind of differently from a lot of the other people in the congregation or you know do you like how do you really feel about um this claim to truth in 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 in, in the bible you know i i so I'm curious, Gio, what I was going to ask you is just, do you, do you find that, how, what would you think about academic agents' tactic in that, mm. in that scenario? Or it's, it's really something that I've, I've considered, even though I don't think I'm, I'm in a place quite yet where I can sort of, you know, I haven't been baptized. I couldn't accept communion, but I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to sort of, um, baptize my kids right. <laughs> even if it's not even if it's something that i can't um can't fully commit to quite yet well it's a good thing i mean i i feel like any, any faith like any foundation of it can be you know um can be can be approached even if it's not like t totally sincere um I, I think like a lot of people that generally do like struggle with these like it's much different than someone like i don't know like, you know, again, I don't want to bash him too much, but like Peterson or like Elaine de Botton saying like, well, we have to get like the useful parts of religion. If you generally try to make a go of it, I think that's different, but it's sort of like one of those things, like speaking of postmodernism, it's sort of like one of those things that, um, that Mark Fisher talked about. And, uh, and I, I believe he got this from Frederick Jameson as well. When he talked about the like cultural exhaustion and like, uh, it was, it was part of his essay that became a lecture right before he passed. Unfortunately, uh, it was called like the slow cancellation of the future. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or, and I yeah. think you've heard of that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, well, you know, it's like in music, right? Like anything can come back now. It's like now yeah. Lana Del Rey can like sell an album where it's kind of like fifties exotica music or like some like SoundCloud rapper can take a sample from, 
like Entheo Jazz or whatever. And like, you know, it can make some, in other words, like you're always haunted by the past because there's this incredible eclecticism going around. And this is what Jameson said as well in the postmodern, in, in a postmodernism, the book, you know, logic of late capitalism is that eventually the reason culture goes towards exhaustion is because at the same time you have this glut of like everything of every epoch, meaning like the dead no longer buried the dead. Now it's like ever presently, like that's what hauntology is. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say you're you're describing hauntology as well. Yeah. And as, as that happens, like the future sort of like becomes an eternal present right now, the reactionary and in Jameson, he actually did have in his book, this was, he wrote this back in the eighties. He said like, I'll I'll let you finish last point, but really quickly. He said that, you know, actually a lot of these reactionary people, they could also like come and say like, well, actually now that there's no, uh, no consensus on truth, we might as well literally treat society as if it is like an aesthetic project. And we kind of know that there was that certain regime, certain painter of Austrians in the 20th century in Germany that tried to treat all of life as a work of art. Right. So I think like the, the reason a lot of liberals are so threatened by postmodernity is because it's like the people on the left and like Jordan Peterson, they hate each other, but they're both like, you know what? Postmodernism that can lead to the Austrian landscape painter. And it, even in the left now, you're starting to see like a lot of like new sincerity. Like this is another thing too is like the left they're not they're not even postmodern themselves. They they have an incredible and nuanced level of belief in things to almost a metaphysical level. It's just that they tend to like weaponize relativism. It's like selective nihilism. It's like they'll do a little bit of it here and there just to demoralize the chuds, but actually they still have like a very um solid grasp of what belief is on a very high level and a very deep level the political the current political level but sorry last thing i cut you off so go ahead oh well you know i was i I realized as i was speaking geo you know i set up this elaborate um you know moral scenario with you know baptizing my children or academic agents and i but yeah i mean you i mean you yourself i think are maybe the best kind of (laughs) subject for this because i know that you are you are a devout catholic and yet you are simultaneously a, a, you know, a lion of postmodern theory, or, you well, know, this is your, this is your lion. Um, <laughs> yeah, is, it's my wheel. Your, you know, this you should hundred percent put that your, on the back of your book, Gio. <laughs> I will. Yes. When it, when it comes your, out next th- year. This is your, this is your from last butter. things, a lion of postmodern <laughs> yes. theory. Oh, well, but like I, you, 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 no, both, it's a good one. I just, you, you I'm can just both, enjoying it. Very good. Yeah. You can both, uh, imagine how um uh i imagine that 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 creates a fair amount of um i don't know ten- tension cognitive dissonance um yeah. s- struggle but you are somebody that has maintained a- an identity as a catholic despite yeah. having read every you know a- every writer born after 1945 <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> what what was is there a question there last things? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I guess um yeah the yeah, I can try to frame it as as a question. Um has that um ha, how have you weathered 
the postmodern critique and maintained your um your your religious identity because i mean i guess i oh, should yeah. well so i guess sorry this should be the question i should begin by asking do you consider yourself to be a postmodern traditionalist in, in, any, oh, in any sense of that phrase well traditionalist is a very funny term it's a term that's come under a lot of heat recently but i more or less i mean postmodern right would be like a broad catch-all that i think is very apt but the reason i square that circle is because i feel like Postmodernity is not relativism. It, it's it's a critique of a certain epoch. It's not like it's not saying that there's no truth. It's just saying that how as truth as it's experiential is perspectival. Mm -hmm. So recently, um, there was a great article, and he's a fiction writer. It was one of his first um, nonfiction uh, works, essays. Um, my good friend, please call me Christ. Uh, that's his actual name. That's <laughs> a PMC Christ on, on Twitter. And he wrote this book, uh, sorry, he wrote this essay called uh, Cthulhu's Rooms Right, where he talks about this specifically. He talks about how as the right wing or the contemporary right or the E-right, as it realizes itself as more of an, how should we call it? An aesthetic avant-garde, if you will. Meaning that the sort of like coherent political project is something very complicated, something that is like, even just to think of terms as a political movement, even like back in 2017, there were like writers that said like, well, the whole like mass political movement thing is kind of like a construct that isn't viable for like whatever reason at this particular moment. So instead, what have the frogs done? They've waged, I don't know, say, or can I say the word insurgency on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They've waged a cultural insurgency. That's what the frogs have done, right? And so I highly encourage people to read that article. It's called Cthulhu Swims Right, where uh, he talks about this. He talks about the development of the fact that if we do live in a postmodern condition, then the possibilities of tradition itself can come in through the back door because now the field is open to embrace truth. That is not like beholden to particular claims of um how shall i say it like not beholden to like particular claims of like warrant not warranted true belief but rather like hard and fast distinctions that are agreed upon and so like the medics that we've seen since like even before 2016 right like like i, I know it's like a meme now right there was this video going going uh going around you know that song uh you know it won't be the same when we meet when we meet again and it was like all the people from Gamergate in 2016 <laughs> and, and our good friend Carl Benjamin was like front and center. And so I know it's a meme, right? That like basically Gamergate brought us all here, right? But it's true. It's true because whether he knew it or not, or not at the time, but I suspect he knows it now because as we know, the saint of Swindon, Carl Benjamin has gone through a political renaissance. But at the time, Sargon of Akkad unleashed a postmodern force of reaction through meme culture and mimetic warfare, the likes of which we've never seen before. And I, mean, I know, like, I realize how, like, like, I realize how, like, you know, uh, how that sounds. Like, I realize, like, people, like, that are watching this may tell me to touch grass or whatever. But when you truly think of it, though, the way that the right wing had developed up until that point like through like the normal like culture war of the 1980s, which was in, 
you know, largely informed by like politics and the way that the moral majority in America had like um, a hold over political life to extent till like that was, you know, erased in the 1990s. When you look at the resurgence of like a, a relevance of a right wing cultural moment, right? Like the, like the, the trolls, the frogs, the chuds, right? That was really significant because it took the recognition that we live in a perspectival age where there is no claim to an overarching meta narrative of truth that we all must conform to and said, you know what? Actually, maybe it's all right to entertain certain forms of mysticism. Maybe it's all right to, you know, because at the at the end of the day, when you actually look at the development of the right wing or what even, I know like even Moldbug talks, you know, talks about this where it's debatable, but we can more or less agree that like it's from, you know, Joseph de Maestra, French Revolution, post-French Revolution. There always was kind of an element of both romanticism and anti-romanticism in like rightist thinking, right? So in actuality, that romanticism, that sort of even irrationalism that came about within the past 10, 15 years, especially on the internet, that was primed and ready to go. So the picture that like the dark web people have where no, actually we're fighting for like the meta, like the grand narratives and the left or relativists that all gets thrown out the window in 2016. All of it. Even before that. No longer is there a side of like, we are capital T truth and their relativism. It's almost like we're just fighting, like there's different wars of religiosity. It's like we're living in the Hundred Years War, but it's like, you know, in an instant on the internet, right? Like, so, but that's post, like that's like very much a, a postmodern concept of now in the absence of collective reason and meta narrative comes faith comes a counter enlightenment right and so the left has their own religions the right like sargon of akkad basically created the, the religion of mimetic warfare in the right way so i so i got to stop that's that's too much that's too much let's you know no, it, um, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. it does. It does make actually uh, quite a bit of sense. Um, yeah. I'll, let, remind me when we're done, and I'll, I'll have to tell you a funny story related to that. But uh, <laughs> to to put a little put a little skin on that to make that a little more concrete to, and to answer your your questions, last things. So, uh, I, I didn't come from a background of no faith. I came from mm. from a, a, a family that was very religious, and you know, I was I was in the church very young. But I did grow up in a very postmodern situation, obviously, like we all did. And I was in a situation like so many where you had like, you know, the atheists, you know, and the versus the apologists and the four horsemen, you know, William Lane Craig debating, uh, uh, you know, debating uh, versus Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens or something. Right. And. So I read like all these books, you know, and I, I tried to, to to justify my faith logically, and I tried to to understand all these things. And I and I was a real believer. I like I, don't get me wrong, I wasn't, but but there was always this. I I have to have some academic backing for my faith. I have to have this thing, and the reason was I had never really had to survive it with it, and only it. And then I you know I lost my first wife. And it was the only way to survive is, and that's, 
it didn't the academics didn't matter anymore the 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 all, all of the the arguments and all of the the apologetics it all falls away because the truth is this is real and this is necessary to my continuance as a human being and that's when mm. religion really became true like i had always been a believer but that but that's when it became true and i think it's i think it's important to have that i think you should bring up your children and I think you should expose them to that. I think you should go through those things if only because they at some point might need it. <laughs> they, they might rely on it. It might be the only thing, you know, that, that can get you through it. I think that shakes you completely out of your, your postmodern condition when this is the only thing that can kind of bind your, your reality together. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, to, to butcher one of his quotes said something like the, you know, the, I, I don't actually love my fellow man, but God commands me to love my fellow man. And then I act like I love my fellow man. And sure enough, over enough time, I find that I actually love him. You know, it's, it's the doing, it's the embodiment of the action mm. that eventually brings yeah. about, about the completion. You might be faking it the whole time, but by living it, eventually you, it becomes part of you, becomes part of your lived reality. And then it's true because it's become true through through action and through lived experience. And so even if you feel like a fake, even if you feel like a phony at first, I think it's really essential to put yourself in a position where you can believe, even if you don't right now, because one day it, it will be really essential and you'll, mm -hmm. it'll be there for you when you need it. That's yeah. That, thank you, Warren. That's all, that's all really well said. And I, and I will say even the act of kind of, faking it till you make it is still sort of um you know i i think a a a more of a true engagement than this kind of constantly observing of oneself you know it's at least you're you're <laughs> yeah you know you're playing a sport you're kicking the ball um you're moving forward as opposed to um just kind of observe observing yourself even if you don't really feel quite yet like you know how to play the play the sport um so i think that's um that's all very very uh well said and, and i appreciate it um you know one other thing i wanted to to <laughs> talk about i i just some of the reasons why i'm such a skeptic or um uh i i kind of roll my my eyes around a lot of these more postmodern traditionalist projects or or talking points and you know or and i think you said all of this a lot more politely than i did in your in your conversation mm. with 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 okay. local distance but i mean if i could kind of boil it down and be much more grug grug brained about it mm. i think that the questions that one needs to ask for any kind of i don't know no traditionalist spiritual project is you know one can it be taught to a dumb person you know, can it cut, can, can it talk, can, can this be grokked by somebody who's like just a, you know, 100 IQ normie Two, can it be, can it be, um, adopted by just kind of an unreflective person, you know, somebody who's not particularly interested in, who's not going to pick up CS Lewis, who's not going to read, who's not going to watch the, the Jordan Peterson videos. Um, just somebody that's too, either because if that's their nature or they're too busy in their daily life. And the third is just, can it be taught to a child? You know, and I think that's what makes me honestly lose my patience with a lot of these postmodern traditionalist projects. Um, 
as quickly as I do because you know, I mean, my <laughs> my, my my son is now is now five, and I can tell you about he is he is not a literary critic. <laughs> He's very charming and and smart, but what he but what he does love is narratives you know and it's it's very interesting because i can see him you know he's he's obsessed uh, and it's something that makes me feel kind of guilty for not getting him in, involved and invested in a, a faith tradition at this point because you know lego ninjago has become his religion and he can talk about all the different ninjas uh the way that somebody could talk about the apostles like <laughs> but um you know that the the, the and, and I'm being I'm being kind of glib here, but at at the same time, I'm 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 really not. I think that um, the one of the great failures of postmodern tradition postmodern traditionalism is that it um, it's only available to a certain kind. It, it's only av available to a certain IQ. It's only available to a certain disposition, and it's only available to a, a certain after a certain age and a certain kind of um, well. Go right ahead, Joe. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. You you finish your thought. Um well, just a certain a certain level of um you know of the kind of subjectivity that we've been talking about here tonight, a certain amount of like self-consciousness. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like you have to be aware of the fact that you're living in something to like embrace an antecedent of it, but not really because okay, so I, I realize I didn't answer I didn't answer the question, but Oren, uh you brought it like really to the foreground where you said it became a matter of survival. Right. And so I, I think of like faith similarly in that it's not that the truth of a faith disappears. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just that what postmodern and postmodernity refers to as a particular set of um, a particular condition in which the sort of modernist reliance on a very particular form of reason that has guided the West since like the post enlightenment is being called into question. Right. Mm -hmm. So I find it kind of funny how people say that postmodernism puts faith into doubt when really there were a lot of like artistic and literary movements and even philosophic movements that would be considered postmodernism that in a way allows for a form of anti-modernity by embracing this critique of reason. So that reason also brought faith in the West into doubt. So when Jordan Peterson said, or like, you know, whoever, right? Like just Harris. Oh God. I don't want to mention Sam Harris, but you know, like yeah. when, when they talk about how postmodernism or like whatever, postmodern Marxism, blah, 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 undermines a faith in reason. That same reason also was, if you follow like the critique of people also undermined faith in like a collectively held belief, right? Like the sort of instrumental reason that came from the enlightenment that informed like even the managerial, like the liberal managerialism that we're living under right now is very much like a product of that same reason. So the way I would say, like the way I would frame it is like postmodern traditionalism is the full recognition of that critique of reason. Right. And from there, you can say that even though faith, particularly Christianity, no longer has a significant like the same significance in terms of it being that which instantiates the picture of reality to the Western world, 
that truth is still there. It's like, it's rather the truth of the world that post-modernity is dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's a, so I think like, that's the way at least I think of it. If anything, it gives me more room for faith. Like that's even what Kant said, right? In the absence of reason, there's room for faith, right? I mean, you meant it something differently, but like, yeah, no, you I, go ahead, Orin. I know you want to see, go ahead. But, yeah, you know, just, no, I think that's perfect. I think that's exactly what it is because it's funny. So many religious people, because these rationalists are currently opposing wokeness, have been convinced that postmodern that postmodernism is an attack on religion, or is an or or is something that religious people need to be worried about. Funny enough, it's actually just something that rationalists need to be worried about, and and the reason they're freaking out is that it might create space for many things, including the return of mysticism or religion, like you're talking about. And so, instead of being something that the religious person needs to fear, they might need to understand that the the people who are most scared of post of post modern thinking are those that are worried about their God of reason being displaced more than they are about, you know, the, 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 it tearing apart the American tradition or the Christian tradition or something like that. hundred percent. Yeah. But sorry, I didn't mean to, I just, I just wanted to, to, I think that's that's a a really critical point for you uh, for what you're talking about there. And I think it's really important. Yeah, no, because no, what you said is like really spot on that the rationalists have something to worry about because like, if anything, uh, even like the entertaining, the entertainment of like an anti-modernist thinking within postmodernism. I mean, even in the work of art, like this is how you get, um, like even like even in modernism proper, you have people like Gauguin, right? Very like go, like going back to something that, at least in his mind, was very ancient within the human experience in his in through the work of art. So even within modernism, you have like the seeds of a critique of modernism. Uh, like a, you have to realize, like postmodernism comes about through the exhaustion of that like Western tradition, right? So secular instrumental reason can only deliver you to like it can only give you so much before it just strips the human condition of like anything that really matters, right? And so postmodernism is just a recognition of that. Uh, you know, but to to lead to your point, Oren, to lead to your point, let me give you a funny little anecdote. This is something that. Jordan Peterson would find crazy. Okay, so Jacques Derrida, and I believe in the early 2000s before he died, one of his students asked him about the, I believe he asked him about Christopher Hitchens, if I recall. He asked him about the new atheists, right? And he go, they go, well, you know, in France, they have a very crazy like academic tradition where most of them are like atheists, but they're not like, they're not like North American atheists. They're not like Anglo atheists. They're like, I don't believe in God, but I hate God because I hate the Catholic Church. So yeah. it's very much like the, the the dramatic, like poetic rejection. It's like a Nietzschean atheism in some ways, right? But Derrida is like of that romantic atheist tradition. And a student asked him, a student said, well, what about God? Like you you say that there's no meta narrative. You say that there's no logocentrism. What about Christianity? And of course, in academia in France, there's a huge amount of trad casts, ironically enough, as well. Because France is like the, the society of contradictions. So so Derrida says, when he talks about deconstruction, right? He goes, can you not deconstruct atheism and that lack of belief and that assurity of reason that delivers you to conclude that the world is made from nothing, like Lawrence Krauss nonsense, right? 
Um, Lawrence Krauss was also on the flight logs along with Steven Pinker, by the way. No, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in case you want to know where rationality leads you. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah exactly. a particular <laughs> island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. All of a sudden, I, you know, uh, uh, I know nothing about Hillary Clinton. I have no documents <laughs> that would lead to her arrest. I want to clarify that I am in uh, the great place. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I have everything to live for. Sorry. No. <laughs> wonder where all the research money came from about <laughs> genetics and all that but uh no but anyways so like you know lawrence cross has that book by the way that book's like terribly flawed even other atheists say that it's oh it's really bad it's comically bad yeah, yeah comically bad so derrida said it's so it's so crazy derrida the king of postmodernism, apart from like you know Baudrillard and all that he says well actually maybe it's kind of true you can really deconstruct your way into thinking that I don't know, maybe Christianity has a thing or two, right? So Derrida's like, well, you know, actually, maybe you could potentially deconstruct your way towards God again, right? Because you can critique that, the sort of dialectic of like atheism being a rational choice, quote unquote, because of the predicate of like, this is the way that human evolution and like development of reason and so forth. That uh, Derrida, the king of postmodernism, said himself like actually you can also deconstruct the other way you would say that well actually atheism is itself like a meta narrative that can be critiqued just as much as anything else so there you reminds me of the yeah. uh, the mo bartender uh, meme where the you know c- comes back in at the end he throws the guy out of the bar and the guy yeah, comes, in, yeah. but it's religion and rationalists yeah um or like when mo like redid his bar with that designer woman he's like you know it's Palmo. You're like, what? Ah, weird for the sake of weird. <laughs> I do a good Mo Sizzlack, man. That's crazy. Have, have, have either of you, um, this was something else I, I wanted to bring up on, on the stream. Have either of you been been reading or, or keeping up with um, Zero HP's reach, recent uh, essays on, on, I think they're, he's titled them, Towards a Christo-Nichean Christo Synthesis? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 the first one is... is um, him laying out sort of this this structure of um i guess reli- re- religious thought and i i i did not bring this up as an example of of postmodern traditionalism um and i, I had zero hp on, on my channel i talked to him about this um i don't think that's his project i don't think it's that's his intention at all um i don't think he's he's presenting this and i would not group it under a one of these postmodern traditionalist examples but i do think it's interesting to bring it up in, in, in the context of this conversation. And as you guys remember, but for the sake of our audience, um, he sort of goes through this kind of taxonomy of religious thought, um, and presents these different kind of categories that, uh, present themselves in religious thought. And this is religion termed very broadly. You, You could fit Marxists under this, you could fit, you know, progressive woke theology under this as well as, uh, Christianity, but, and he uses primarily Greek terms. So there's, there's gnosis, right. Which is the secret knowledge, you know, the, the, the believer or, um, the person within this specific religion has secret insight into the nature of the world, whether that's, um, you know, uh, the capitalist exploitation, if you're a Marxist or the revelation of Christ, um, if you're a Christian, and then there's the nemesis. The nemesis is the kind of eternal, uh, unvanquishable enemy that blinds the majority of the world to the gnosis. Everybody yeah. that's outside of your faith uh, is is a victim of the nemesis. 
Um, and there are other, I think those are the kind of mi two major categories. There are other ones like taboo and, and ecstasy. Um, and one thing I, I brought up with him in conversation uh, privately was, was I, I felt like the one category that he had um, omitted was the category of the epiphany, right? Another Greek mm. term, um, which is the epiphany is the... <laughs> It's revealing, isn't it? Is yeah, that, yeah. The essentially the revelation. So you could like Christ is the epiphany, and the, I would say that. But in the same context, in in the using the kind of taxonomy that that zero HP is using, Karl Marx is an epiphany. He's an epiphany for that religious, um, you know, meme of of there's Marxism. a messianism there as well there like benjamin talks about that yeah 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 and i kind and i kind of i joked with with zero because you know this is i don't think he's concluded this series of essays and uh you know that they're they're brilliant and they're very well executed and i'm looking forward to what he he comes up with um but i kind of joked with him like you know even if you you have the most persuasive argument on the planet for this christo nichean synthesis we're probably going to have to crucify you before anybody buys it, <laughs> you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have to be martyred, True. or or there's gonna be there's, there's gonna have to be some you know messianic figure that embodies this Christo Nichean synthesis, and they, and they're gonna have to um, probably uh, you know die in a very televised manner um, because that that is something that that I think is necessary to codify these systems is the epiphany that that person yeah. which exemplifies and personifies all of the, the 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 key insights of that religious system and i bring this up in the in this context because i i i wonder is part of why we are all trapped within the postmodern and and what the best we can hope for is a kind of postmodern traditionalism because we're kind of denied that that epiphany you know and and i think a lot of talk surrounding kind of caesarism is in some ways yeah a longing for the, 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 the epiphanic, or I, I think we're going to be, I think the one thing that I can conceive of that would kind of um, break the world out of the kind of the, the, the postmodern con condition um, or, or create the opportunity for a, a, a more um, kind of sincere, traditionalism is that that figure of of the epiphany yeah um, yeah so i i just put that out there i i thought um in in leading up to this talk i was thinking a lot about um zero's work in in regards to um those religious religious categories well that's great that's amazing because frederick jameson talks about postmodernism being that a lot like most historical um movements cultural artifacts um religiosities even all of them become a series of stylizations like they become kitchified in a way right they become uh i think even like talked about like the sort of like big mega church stadium like christianity as being like a part of that sort of spectacle right like this very much is like the society of spectacle stuff and i know zhp in one of his threads he talks about this where he says that to really truly break out of it, you would need like the mix of a Caesar and a Christ and an Odin and a Nietzsche. You would need truly like a transformative world picture um, embodiment in a human being 
to transform the stylization of religion into something that is like a truly living faith, right? Because I feel like so we need we need the second coming. You need the second coming, yeah. Because you would feel that like even like within religious like even trad circles, I hate to say this, like again, I don't really like I, I know to like I'm aware of the fact that as a cradle Catholic, it's like me like lording it over or whatever. But I do notice that there is like among like traditionalist circles on the internet specifically, it still is at the level of stylization in that the way that it's practiced, like, okay, why am I a trad cath? Why am I a trad ortho? Why am I an Odinist? Why am I an Ichian? Oh, because I want to own the libs, right? Like that is still a stylization of faith that can have a, a building block towards sincerity so i wouldn't want to like cast aspersions on anybody but i do feel that we're still living within and, and that really is i think the essence of postmodern traditionalism no well not the essence of it. that's kind of like a strange word right when i talk about postmodernism, but it's sort of like a definition of that you embrace that faith will still be there but it will have to exist in terms of worldly it's worldly picture not its metaphysical picture it's worldly picture as a form of stylization among others. Right. Cause I like in, in the sort of like 2010s culture war, that's why I brought it up before is because that really like highlighted the fact that we're in this like 30 year, 30 hundred year religious war um, where people are fighting over their own stylizations and like the past can always come back or trends can always come back. Like it can be like, I don't know. I mean, I'm a millennial, so I want to live in like, y2k aesthetic early 2000s world forever that would be amazing but i know we're not going to unfortunately you know because something happened when those towers fell that basically like i don't know no clipped us into a different world than the world that us millennials were promised by our boomer parents so yeah so if if millennials are sort of like the cynical frustrated like postmodern driftwood generation that's for a reason you know and i i hope like the conversation modern driftwood generation <laughs> yeah yeah exactly no but i hope uh, like the lesson we learn is that all of these things happen for a reason mm-hmm. right like they they happen because of a course of development and but in that course of development that's the funny thing about postmodernism is that there's no determinism in it right there's no determinism so the world that we were given by like the twin towers falling and the surge and the financial crisis and then event who knows eventually Gamergate, right? I mean, everything leads back to Gamergate. But the the world that we were given, when you think of it almost as like a time loop or a time warp that we've entered into, but there isn't a contingency. Like, sorry, there's there's um there isn't a necessity, but it's contingency that we could have. And this is what Mark Fisher was talking about as well. Right. Postmodernism is the recognition of that we could have lived in another time. Right. And maybe there could be another possibility in another direction. And we see this nowadays. I mean, the Internet age has proven this to us, that there is always a contingency to things, that there could be another path that we can all walk down and that there actually is like the whole like you know, liberal Whig history, the whole like universal state that Kojeb talks about, right? Like that is even equally called into question. 
because that is another possibility among others. It's a strong one, right? I mean, a lot of the people that we interact with every day and like a lot of the things we tweet about, a lot of things we write about and talk about in podcasts when it comes to like liberalism, we have to recognize that it's brittle in one sense. And we we all talk about how it spiritually decimates people and it deracinates people and it strips them of their faith and their heritage and so forth. But at the same time, there is a, a lasting power to its assumptions, right? Now, if I were to even be charitable to Moldbug, I know I'm very uncharitable to Moldbug, but if I were to be charitable to him, he is correct in that, in that it has culminated into a series of assumptions about human nature and about politics that more or less have some sort of staying power, right? Like, I, I know that's like an old reactionary talking point, but it's true. And that's something that we have to deal with and mm -hmm. something we have to recognize. The only way to like truly critique something is if you realize it's power. Right. And liberalism, there are signs of its weakness. Like, I don't want to black pill, but it still is a all consuming and powerful force. Right. But postmodernity says that that is one among many. And there could be another thing. There could be a post liberalism, not like, you know, the cringy, like, Harvard, like Harvard, Patrick Deneen. Not the post-liberal uh, you know, order. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. not the integralist post-liberalism. But like genuine illiberal or post-liberal thinking could come down the pipeline, right? Like, like that's the space of possibility. You, you know who is a real post-modern thinker? I know he'd, he'd like, maybe he'd unfollow me if he heard me here saying this. But Nick Land, right? What is the outside? What is the, for like, you want to talk about post-modernism. What is the force from the outside coming into the present, manifesting itself through the present into the future, right? Like that itself is another recognition of our timeline, of our reality being spliced open by all these other forces that we can't account for, right? Because usually like the, the, the like reason post-enlightenment liberal picture of reality is that there is no outside, that eventually we're just going to evolve and like, I don't know, uh, the... You know, the Ayatollah in Iran is going to topple. There's going to be regime change in Russia and China and North Korea. You know, China, China will be liberal too. You know, they'll they'll have uh, whatever, right? Like they'll they'll have build the uh, United Federation of Planets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but no, but Star Trek was incredibly like. If you want to yeah. talk about global liberalism, like that's why you should study Star Trek, as you know, Oren. Like, have you done a stream on Star Trek? I have not, but I'll, I'll put one together. We should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, yeah but but I think we should go ahead and also turn our attention to our super chats as they are building up here. Wow. Yeah, um, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, we've got quite a few coming up here. So uh, let's go ahead and grab the questions of the people real quick here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Maddie Ice here for $10. Thank you very much, sir. Postmodern is not real in practice. No one lives it. The rejection of meta narratives is applauded by people who replace Christ's American Revolution, the glorious dynam, slavery, and the big H. What do you think about that, gentlemen? There is no postmodernism. It's just a replacement of meta narratives. Mm. Last things you want to go there? I'm still mulling it over in my head. I'm still swishing it around like uh, some fine. fine yeah, it's music. it's it's a term that like has many meanings for many different people. So, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that we do live in a form of hypermodernity. Definitely. Um, mm. People don't live as if they're postmodern. Yeah, that, that that is a good critique. But I still would say that like uh, 
if you don't believe in postmodernism, postmodernism maybe believe no, I'm not gonna admit that. But man, it's true. Postmodernism believes in you. Um yeah. no, I, I think that yeah, it's true in that specifically when it comes to the political left, they don't act as if they're they're postmodern whatsoever. They they have a very like Gloria Steinem was a CIA operative. So um she had a very specific set of uh, beliefs that she was trying to instrumentalize and weaponize. Uh, you knew that, right? They, uh, gentlemen, you knew that she was being mm. paid by the CIA? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's the her first time I've heard about Steinem. But you never heard of Gloria Steinem? A lot of the feminists were bankrolled, so. Oh, yeah. She was the, not all feminism, but I mean, she was uh, the, the pop feminist that uh, was receiving the glow in the dark. The, the checks, glue, the, you know, had the glow in the dark ink on them. So. She had enough sex appeal to kind of get the yeah she wasn't dworkin you know like, i was about to say i don't think dworkin was on the payroll <laughs> no um let's i see, like Gary. Oh, sorry sorry. Go ahead. sorry uh maddie ice here again for five dollars a mentioned once they replace a, a story of birth with a story of death we'd be better to highlight this more in my opinion uh, so just continuing off of his first super chat there i mean i think there is truth in 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 what you're saying maddie ice there is uh, it's like uh, people who are her hardcore determinists until yeah. you know they then tell you to stop doing whatever you're doing that they don't like. Um, no one actually, <laughs> no one actually acts as if people are not uh, responsible for their decisions, even if they uh, their worldview dictates 100 percent that they are. Uh, so, but I think there is also, as Gio has pointed out, I think pretty adeptly, a, a real a real uh, collapse of the meta narrative that is, that is a part of kind of our world today. So I think there, I think uh, you're right that no one truly acts as if there's nothing, of course, to be fair, I don't think most people, if you walked around and like bumped into the average progressive, I don't think the first thing they'd say is like, I'm a postmodernist. Like, I don't, I don't think they no. describe themselves like that at all. So to be fair to the left, I, I don't think most leftists walk around and then announcing I am a dedicated postmodernist. So I don't know yeah. how much of a critique that would be of their own self-description so much as it is a critique of those who apply it too liberally to, to those on the left. I think like that's another like another point would be a lot of people in the political right they don't realize that the the left truly believes in this like they they don't um a lot of like the argument that postmodernism I don't know led to like um, drag time story hour or whatever like you can make a case obviously for that but it's more of like it's not that they're like oh well actually now that we know that there's no such thing as like a commonly held reality now I can become like I can change. I can basically create my life as a work of art and become like, I mean, there's certainly academics that think this way, but the average like run of the mill, like liberal affluent liberal woman that like takes her kid to a drag show. They're not thinking of it that way. They actually genuinely believe that no, right. if you state that your identity is as such, it is as such, it's an iron law. So it's not like, Oh, there's an ambiguity about identity. They're like, no, if you, you know, so I, I feel like, that's unfortunately a lot of like people on the right wing or on like, you know, normie conservatives, they tend to think of everything being like, this is relativism. It's not really relativism in the sense that they don't think of things as being relativistic. They think they have a genuinely, they genuinely believe that that Mulvaney person is like, I've only been a woman for six months. 
it's like she you know she's only been a woman for six months yeah so, i mean it, it's true yeah. it, it, post it's one of those kind of asymmetrical warfare issues that i think Mold, yeah. Moldbug articulates a lot that post-modernity hamstrings the right a lot more than it does uh the left like i'm what's that um uh quote from speaking of the second coming yates like um the good do nothing and the, the, the best lack all conviction. Yeah. Um, yeah. The best last, the best, the best la lack all conviction, because I do think that a lot, especially like, you know, I, I don't know, very like, <laughs> you know, neurotic, smart, um, right. Dissidents probably do tie themselves in knots thinking about issues of, of moral relativism. Yeah, and that's not something that 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 causes a single skip in the step of the mother on their way to drag queen story hour or or the drag queen for that it, matter. Yeah, it's I, not I, like they wake up in the morning and they're like, "Oh, there's no truth anymore." Ergo, I'm going to be a different gender. Right. Like it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I, I think it's really important for a lot of people who oh. were very invested in the idea of cold rationality defining the world to believe that there was some kind of convoluted ideological mechanism that moved people towards what they see as something that's wholly irrational rather than realizing that evil exists in the world and people are capable of holding evil beliefs. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> I think, I there think you it's, go. <laughs> I, I really, it really is. It's, it's, it's a very simple, it, it's one of those things where if you spend, uh, you know, uh, many, many years and write enough doctoral dissertations, you can talk yourself out of the obvious, which is that something really nasty has taken hold of your civilization and most people around you no longer believe in truth uh, because of it. So, Don't make me tap the sign. They actually do want to, you know, with kids. It's like, oh, Sometimes it's not rocket science. It's, it really yeah, is so all... All the really complicated explanations of the world are sometimes far oh. less illuminating than. What an Irgregor you've unleashed upon the world! Or I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I dream of a I dream of a world where the sign never needs to be tapped again. That's that's yeah, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, Creeper weirdo for five dollars. Do you guys hear about this list of scary far right media? One of the books was Leviathan. They're on to us, boys. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, the couple lists of of possible far right books. I think it's yeah, things like Thomas Hobbes Leviathan and John Locke's Treatise. <laughs> like, Whoa, have oh, you read Loki? I thought, they were, I thought they were talking about Sam Francis Leviathan. No, no, no. Bob they're no. Yeah, I, I could at least in some ways understand <laughs> that though. So Leviathan like, and its and its enemies is is in no way not really far right, but yeah. I love how you have like uh, Francis Parker Yaki Imperium right next to um, John Locke's like tree, you know, or Tokyoville is like you know on America, like right next to Imperium. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that is uh, yeah. pretty wild. Uh, Creeper weirdo again here for five dollars. Is it like Christian nationalism where we hack at an idea we don't fully understand? Uh, how to implement or what it means. Uh, yeah, I think that um, it's very true that a lot of a lot of people grasp onto this language without fully understanding. As G I think Geo did a really good job of kind of succinctly putting that together, where they understand the technical academic definition, but they don't understand its its usage in kind of real conversation, and then they conflate it with other terms and you end up in a situation where you know conservatives or 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 
opponents of progressivism are attacking straw men they've constructed out of academic uh you know cloth uh, yeah. in, in, in thinking that that kind of will will lead people to the truth there yeah uh let's see uh quartz zz7 for five canadian thank you very much sorry about canada uh how postmodernism is marshall McLuhan? he hated the words yeah i don't i don't know i don't have the context for that one Gio. i don't know if you can answer that at all oh well actually the context is i was recently on my good friend uh tyler hamilton theme star show uh ebl it was uh me and the boys we talked about McLuhan's uh, book understanding media so you can find that on uh, theme stars channel uh that came out uh yesterday uh no McLuhan he definitely was a modern thinker um he said the postmodernity is like just another label like in the beginning of understanding media he says it doesn't really grasp um what he was trying to get at but he does i feel like reading McLuhan you could very easily understand the foundation of the way in which the development of media and sort of like the post Gutenberg galaxy world culminated into a postmodern condition, but he himself is not a postmodernist. Uh, he thoroughly was in a sort of like modernist tradition because he viewed, um, he wasn't like a black mirror skeptic. He wasn't like a Lul. He wasn't like, certainly wasn't like uncle Ted or Lincola. He wasn't like anti-technology. He very much had the modernist disposition of having a sort of like, not a utopianism, but seeing like a sort of futuristic potentiality within like a fully um, telecommunication, uh, like tech media saturated world. And he said like, that's just the condition we live in and there's possibilities of something great within it as well. It can also, um, he, he would say like as much as it can hinder the human spirit, it gives the human spirit unique possibility. That's very much a modernist thing. So I wouldn't consider him a postmodernist. No. Um, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Maddie ice here at 10 again for $10. Thank you very much. I like the philosophy, but in many ways, democracy would be good enough, but in a society where the tremendous effort to manipulate public opinion, a real democracy enemies would agree, but not reform. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can avoid that big if though there, right? Like that's, that's kind of the problem is that the cathedral assembles itself when power leaks in the way that democracy allows it to, especially in the modern age with different, all the different technology allowing, allowing communication dissemination of narratives and networking. So I don't know that you can ever, you got to remember that democracy is itself not actually that long lasting of a political uh, kind of a form. Uh, a few hundred it, years, not even. I'm sorry. A few hundred years, not even. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go back and pretend like Athenian democracy is the same thing, but even then famously not exactly known for its longevity uh, or its actual prosperity for the Athenians. Mm -hmm. Funny thing about uh, most people who reference it. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't know that the illusion of democracy can really survive the postmodern world uh, after, after the current narrative of, popular sovereignty breaks i don't know that you get to put it back together in the same way you'll still get um you'll still get power derived from the demand of the crowd you know like that that will be what shifts us into whatever moment we have post kind of post-democratic moment we have uh but i, I don't know that you're ever going to just return to the idea that you just have an organic democracy that spans an entire empire um i, I don't think people are going to necessarily um invest in that in the way that they have with america 
What do you two think of, uh, I know Scott Greer wrote about this, the idea that Caesar can come from the left. Do you feel like the, like the blue Caesar, do you think there'll be a blue Caesar? Uh, I haven't encountered that. I mean, purple Caesar, I hear all the time, but blue Caesar. Purple Caesar, whatever. Blue, purple I would, Caesar, yeah. I, I would have to go Brutus if that was the situation. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, if by, if by blue Caesar you mean like Stalin, then sure. But then yeah. uh, how blue is it really, right? right. Um, when your communism becomes fascism uh, to stabilize it, is it communism anymore? I mean, you, know, we, you, can, you can get deep in the weeds. Um, I think you meant like out of like the current milieu of like American like progressive politics that there could potentially like actually like the left has a very strong will to power, like maybe not a true will to power. I mean, I was talking about this with ZHP, but they certainly have the conditions of like a populist progressive Stalin, like a let's call it a bio Stalinism. If you like, <laughs> that could be something um, bio Stalinism, maybe. there's a paper. One of them yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah. some somewhere someone is launching a Substack just to yeah. take that spandrel. Yeah. That. Oh, I, I I'm honestly I am skeptical of this. The, the possibilities exist, um, but uh, you have a lot of problems with this narrative. The first one being that Caesar is probably in some ways a consolidation of of type two residues outside of the ruling class. Um, yeah. that's, that's a condition necessary for, uh, Caesarism and your type, your type twos are very unlikely to coalesce around a, a blue leader. I don't, I don't think that's probably, I think we're, I think we're far more likely to see long-term stagnation than we are yeah. to see, uh, and just descent into, into third worldism than we are to see a coalition of, type twos around a uh, around a kind of blue leader yeah. i'm skeptical of that the regime will get much more authoritarian but it will be like a third world <laughs> yes yeah type of situation sorry Oren, what's that with type twos i might not be going to yeah sorry so the um uh, so pareto has the two uh he has seven six seven residues but the main two that we talk about for ruling elites are the lions and the uh, and the foxes. Uh, foxes. foxes. The foxes yeah. are your type one residues, and your lions are the type two. Oh, and so okay. we're we're totally dominated by foxes right now. We're we're totally dominated by the crafty, the the combinations. That's funny because I I was actually I didn't real I I didn't know the type type one type two thing. But I was what I was going to interject is that we need to start breeding lions. Mm -hmm. before there is a caesar because yeah. i am familiar with that kind of uh, that that part of italian elite school theory yeah the, the yeah, lion the foxes like, and are... even, even even trump as much as i think a lot he of needed to be more of a fox than a lion i hate to say it but or or was he more of a or was the the the, the issue that ultimately he was a he is a fox he just plays a really good lion on television that's exactly right and when the moment arose in which yeah. he needed to truly, truly roar or bear his fangs, it was it, it became clear that it was he, he was a fox. Yeah, by yeah, there there's definitely a lot of truth to that. He he was a he was a fox making lion type noises, and people are so desperate for that kind of leadership that even the hint of it was enough for a lot of boomers to just like swear utter allegiance, uh, j just to see a hint of it. 
which which shows you that that there's a serious appetite for it. But I think that is I think that is the case with Trump. Yeah, Trump was never a Caesar. He was a Crassus. For those that know your uh, you know Roman. Yeah, some people say that. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Uh, all right, let's see. Jonathan Richardson here for ten dollars. The tradition actually says. Uh, the tradition actually says. For now, we see through a glass darkly, and now I know in part, as well as many other statements that long ago collapsed under human narratives and pontifications. What do you think, Paul? Wrong about this? <laughs> yeah, I think. I, I think there is something about that that faith is always initially seen through a glass darkly. That there, there always has to be that struggle to, of of clarity of vision. Uh, I know last things me you comment better on this one. Uh, well, I guess I I'm attempting to see through the glass, and and it 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 maybe does um, describe my 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 condition somewhat well. Um, you know, I don't if I'm taking the comment um, in the spirit that's meant. I don't think that I I don't anticipate that I'm somebody that's, that, that has the kind of personality that's going to experience um, religious revelation. Um, I, I do think that it will be kind of a matter of, um, of praxis more than, than any kind of um, piercing, piercing moments of clarity. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, that passage is conveying the fact that we're, we're, we never truly know the truth at some point we will, we'll be in a situation where we will, but while we're in this world, we're never going to completely understand, uh, you know, the, the truth of these things. But I think, um, I, I think that that's, you, you maybe speaks to the postmodern idea of like, you're, we're not going to be able to completely live in this world of logic. We're not going to completely be able to define reality and quantify everything. And so we have to make our way through life, without that, you know, without that mm. certainty. And that's where that faith comes back in kind of at the, the end of the, the postmodern tradition there. Uh, mm. But let's see what else we have here. Uh, making sure I don't miss anybody. Uh, Quirtz, uh, ZZ7, uh, thank you very much again, uh, is caught postmodern with his critique of pure reason. No. Has, anywhere, has no. anyone here had the misfortune of reading Kant in depth? Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I've I've read only bits of critique. Period. I've read more of the prolegomena, but um, okay. Yeah, I mean, well, no, because you would say that Kant was very formative in that sort of like Enlightenment tradition of reason itself, and like sort of reason being something that the understanding needs, like it motivates the understanding to predicate, like the noumena to like try to find a sort of like noumenal distinction within things of like mere appearance. So yeah, Kant is very, I, I mean, would you consider him a modern thinker? Yeah, I mean, definitely he leads the way to modernism in some ways, but um, I, no, nobody would consider him a postmodernist, no. Uh, Super Joe's Midlife Crisis, that's an excellent name for $10, thank you very much. <laughs> a foot in the door to deconstruct back to religion is to understand that a lot of scripture has a strong rational basis don't eat fel uh, shellfish makes sense in an era without refrigeration, for example. Um, actually, I think that's the opposite. Uh, that that's a, applying rational, uh, you know, the, like the scientific rational explanations to uh, what are fundamentally religious uh, dictates. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, 
that's probably part of, of what the Bible is doing there, but to follow the dictate because it's what God said. And because that's, what's important about the dictate, irregardless of the rationalization behind it is really the, is really the key to the religious aspect of it to try to attempt mm -hmm. to attach it to a scientific or rational necessity is the most modern thing you can do with uh, the biblical truth that's kind of revealed through the law. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, James Richardson again for $10 or sorry, uh, Johan Richardson here for $10 uh, in architecture. Postmodernism led to humility and uh, receptivity. Modernists were the critical reformers. Good Robert Venturi and Tina Brown interview here. And there's a link there with the timestamp. Yeah, I'm not super familiar on architecture. I am myself an artistic heathen, though I, I know I should appreciate more. Uh, but I don't know. So I don't know much about the idea of postmodernism in uh, architecture, but that is interesting to know and to check out there. Thank you. Yeah, it led really to the towards uh, again a form of eclecticism and stylization that they really like uh, saw the flaws in like a lot of modernist architecture being like a total project that consumed whole cities. That was like a grand utopian. Like Corbusier had a grand utopian like vision of it. Like a lot of people think brutalism is like postmodernism. No, brutalism is like thoroughly modernist architecture in that it, it in that it was predicated on a total vision of what living space looked like. Even Gradius with like the new the the new city style, like the glass everywhere. You know it's funny, a lot of people like because skyscrapers are so like homogenized and standardized and like really are a bunch of eyesores. Uh Gradius he thought that really like having whole cities of glass windows was a spiritual vision that it could like create like almost like an Edenic and an Edenic sort of existence where we would live through this like crystalline city. He very much was a futurist. Right. But um, unfortunately uh, the international style became like the style of like city bug man, neoliberal business world, wor like world neoliberalism, unfortunately. So, yeah. Maddie, I said again here for $5. Didn't mean to sound like I was disagreeing with your position. Don't worry, Maddie. If you did, that's fine. That, that's why we're here. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> feel, feel free to disagree all you like. Uh, more than happy to hear from you. Uh, Gio is right about glowing Steinem uh, getting paid by the patriarchy she was fighting. Many such cases. The real oh. suckers are the ones not getting paid, right? <laughs> yeah. Didn't secure the bag like a fool. Um, let's see. Here. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Life of Brian here for 99.9. Pomo in practice is McIntyre. The loss of a meta nerve results in incoherent and emotive manipulation. People eventually lose the expectation of consistency. The current thing, eternal present. Yeah, that's exactly right. You lose the ability to have moral conversations. You don't even expect the consistency of more reality in a lot of ways. So, yep, that's, that's exactly I, right. I'll, you know, I'll say this, this, that's put, this puts me in mind of, I, I, I don't disagree with, with Gio. I don't consider McLuhan himself to be a postmodern thinker, but um, a great postmodern movie, one of my favorite movies, I, I want to do a video essay on it at some point, And that deals a lot with McLuhan is um, Videodrome. 
Oh um, yeah. I think that the Classic Cronenberg, James Woods. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's Cronenberg's best film, but that's that's yeah. a that's a um it, classic it, Canadian indie kino, the the South the South Toronto school of filmmaking that Cronenberg. Yeah, man, oh so so much you could say about video drum. Um, yeah, but the loss of I would say the if I'm gonna I'll say one thing about uh it um, yeah the media becomes reality eventually it, yeah. it's the loss of meta narrative that's what the theme of Videodrome is about yeah yeah uh enlightened despot here for five Canadian uh sounds like you guys might need one over in in Canada uh, I'm just gonna keep making Canada <laughs> the state of Canada oh, yeah. jokes sorry <laughs> no, no offense to our leads on stream here. <laughs> uh so i mean we're you know we're we're right behind you so don't worry uh sounds like you're saying the uh there needs to be a rediscovery of metaphysics most people haven't had a meso- metaphysical thought yeah i mean obviously that's a huge part of what we're talking about as well true all right so i think that's everything guys before we get out of here uh last things where can people find your work do you have anything exciting people should be looking for what's going on uh, you know, I was I was going to publish a, a, a new video essay this week um, on my channel, but then um, Academic Agent uh, announced a video essay contest um, that happens to be about mythology, and my video is um, is on mythology, and so I'm planning to submit that to his contest. And I'm doing the Babe Ruth right now, guys. I'm pointing Call to the I'm pointing to the to the rafters. And I'm saying I'm going to hit it out of the park. I think I'm going to win this video essay contest, in which case my video will be, I believe, part of the prize is it will be on Academic Agent's channel. And I, I'm trying to get, that'll get my foot in the door to make him come on the, and do a live stream on mine as well. But um, I, I want like a promo, like where you walk in and, you know, like, I'm going to crush you all. I'm going to, yeah, I want, I want yeah. to see a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs a, he needs the worked shoot promo, exactly. the pipe bomb where he like exposes the sector, the the YouTube yeah. uh, reactionary the scene. You like have the work shoot where you like Paul Heyman in two thousand one when he came to WWE and he had that pipe bomb where he like talks about how Vince McMahon destroyed the territories. Um, that was great, by the way. I think that was way better than the Cuckman Phil. Oh, sorry, CM Punk uh, promo. So. That, yeah. You're hitting us with lots of wrestling deep lore. I understood about <laughs> yeah. one eighth of what he just said there. That'll, that would butter up academic agent. I should. Sorry, have yeah, that's exactly yeah. the way to go. Stack your no, uh, academic days. agent would know about that reference. But yeah. well, Gio, what about you? Where should people find your stuff? Anything exciting that you're going to oh, be putting yeah. out? Exciting week. Um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Obviously, Jan Gio. I'm almost at 30k. But of course, Janet Productions is my YouTube channel. Um, my telegram channel, my, my, uh, my Patreon, patreon.com slash gender productions. Also, uh, geos content corner at Substack. You, if you don't want to pay me on Patreon, uh, to get access to every content minded episode, uh, all of the backlog is also now on Substack. I really love Substack. I love how you can get, um, both the free version and the paywall of each podcast. Now I, I will have a writing coming out in the later of the week. I want to get back to my series on the e-write but this week exciting stuff i have on content minded the writer um apuke krumenin i believe that's how you pronounce his name apuke krumenin sorry he's a very popular well he's semi-popular substack writer good friend of mine also a fellow leaf and we talk about uh ilul and schmidt carl schmidt so it's gonna be great and also this thursday uh content mind it's not content that that's wednesday 
This Thursday, the Digital Archipelago with me and Prudentialist is on my channel, Janet Productions. And we have a special guest for a special topic, although the topic's kind of terrible. My good friend, Kino Corner. Speaking of YouTube video essayists, Kino Corner is joining me and Prudentialist. And get this, we're going to review Daily Wire films. This oh, Thursday. boy. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's going to be brutal. Um, so, yeah, me, Prudentialist, Kino Corner on my channel, Janet Productions. I'm almost at 5K. Please get me to 5K. <laughs> We're... <laughs> I de I demand that all three of you get in front of the screen, and there's like a geo with a fez doing the uh, the mystery <laughs> science thing, pointing at the uh, yeah, pointing at yeah. the screen as you go through the movies. That that's that's what oh I want the most. Oh my god! Yeah, we're gonna cover the one with the the girl boss on the frontier, the one with Vincent Gallo, and especially the school. You know what film? The school fun post. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, actually, I have a lot to say about that film. So, please, this Thursday on my channel, two p.m. Uh, two fifteen p.m. Eastern Central uh, Eastern Time. Uh, it's gonna be me, Prudentialist, and Kino Corner. We're gonna. It's the title of the 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 title of the stream is called "Little Ben Goes to the Movies." So <laughs> there you there go. You um, man, daily see Daily Wire. See, talking about postman treasure, Daily Wire has such an opportunity to create the most mind-bogglingly right-wing reactionary films. But what do they do? What, well, you'll find out. You'll find There's out. There's only one place to go, and that's heading to, to Geo's stream there. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, make sure you check out both of these guys' work. They do great work. And if, of course, you are here for the first time, go ahead and subscribe. If you have not done so, you can go ahead and check out this show as a podcast. Go to any of your major podcast platforms and subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show. If you do make sure to leave that rating and that review, it really helps out with the algorithm magic and everything. Thanks everybody for coming by. We had a lot of great questions. Always fantastic to have the dream team back. We'll definitely do it again soon. Thanks for watching everyone. And as always, I will talk to you next time.